Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast. Look at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time, and sometimes the bottom 100 as well. I'm your host, Darren Moody, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I'm good, Darren. I'm good. I've, I've, I've had my first pints of the summer. We were talking about this. Um, uh, they say, Darren, can you move the podcast forward an hour so that I can have pints? And you facilitated that. And so did our lovely guest. Yes. Um, the, yeah, the wonderful, I'm... ever patient, uh, fantastic Jen Gannon. How are you, Jen? Hello. Back. It's been a long time. It's been a while. Did Darren tell you that I, I just wanted to delay to have pints? No. <laughs> if he had him, I would have been like, see you guys. I'm off to have pints too. <laughs> podcast is oh, never going to happen. <laughs> um, uh, apologies for that. Um but uh, yes, so I figured if anyone you would be supportive. Oh, of, I, like, I would my, be, but my, I would also be jealous and want to create <laughs> my own painting right now. Yeah, I, you know, because otherwise the summer just feels like it's been rather pintless. I do not apologize for that. I refuse to apologize for that. Um, no, you don't have to, because I didn't groan. I did that other <laughs> noise. That's, yeah. I go, ah. Because that placates you. It does. It makes me stop, um, crucially. Um, but yes, Jen is entirely right. Uh, it has been a while. Jen is uh, one of our great guests. She's been on the most popular episode that we did in 2019. That was Joker. The most popular episode that we did last year, uh, which was Cats. And this year, maybe we will continue the trend. Maybe we won't. But we're talking about Swept Away, Guy Ritchie's third film, the Madonna starring vehicle, the remake of the 1974 Italian. I don't know if the original is a classic or if it just looks like a classic by comparison, but yes, it is what it is. Um, and the reason that we're covering it is because the past two years we have covered Guy Ritchie's first two films, which are on the top 250, regarded by the IMDb voter base as the best two, two of the best movies of all time. Obviously, like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels and... Um, the other one being Snatched. Was, and he's the only director whose third film is on the bottom. Was someone going to complain if we if we didn't follow up? If we didn't do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, hold on. We didn't complete Last the season. Year, and yeah. then the year before that. So how come this year? Yeah. We, that, that niche fan base. We, we've, yeah. yeah, right there. The people just waiting, setting their watch to yeah. it. Well, I mean, like I've learned they've, that they've like, this is better than... They've put up with the other episodes of the podcast. Just waiting <laughs> for this. <Yeah>. <laughs> And then they're just going to check out at the end of it. Um, I mean, I the question, Andrew, is, is this better or worse than subjecting you to like 12 weeks of jo Guy Ritchie consecutively? Is it better if I just space this out? That's the question. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and, like we're, we're spacing and on Nolan as well like that. We are indeed. Um, and Spielberg and, and all that sort of stuff as well. I mean, it is worth, and it also is an intersection of another kind of, Again, something we ended up doing accidentally yearly that we kind of talked about in the podcast, which is the bottom 100 episodes that are focused on the worst 100 movies of all time as well by IMDb users that tend to be focused around female pop stars. So in 2018, we did Spice World uh, with the wonderful, yeah, Marianne Cassidy um, and the fantastic Grace Duffy. Uh, in 2019, uh, with the fantastic Stacey Groudon, we did Glitter um, in Oh, sorry, I skipped one. So yeah, last year we did, um, with Louise and yourself, Jen, we talked about Geely. Gobble, gobble. And <laughs> gobble, gobble. Um, it started of the Benefer resurgence. It was that episode that kicked it back into gear, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, 
Ben Ben is just sitting there up late at night listening to his podcast. He's like, hey, sends a text message. He's like, remember when we made Geely together? You up, and that, that's... Halo? You up? <laughs> yeah, you up. Um, I feel like yes, would so be the reason why... those messages. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, it seems very much like he would be from recent events, I think so. <laughs> it's a disease. Um, I do like the... <laughs> ben Affleck is a disease? Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, I, I do love, by the way, that the most unbelievable part of that is the idea of him sitting up sending text messages, not him listening to our episode on Geely. Um, but yes, the reason why I reached us. out to... to... <laughs> it's like <laughs> yeah, after threatening for years. Where, like, I, I, I said something unkind that was removed from an episode. And, and then, like, I feel like I was yeah, early been gradually building. I was like, what yeah, if you the were... earliest, earlier people to talk about Ben Affleck? <laughs> Anyway, sorry. <laughs> One of the great evolutions of the 250 as a podcast has been how blatant we've become in talking about Ben Affleck. Um, but the reason why I reached out to Jen is because Jen is one of the great Irish pop culture writers. Um, fantastic writer. If you're not reading her stuff in the Irish Times or elsewhere or even her personal stuff on Medium, you're, you're really missing out. But also is one of the great uh, writers about pop and pop art in general that I've read. Um, and I consider her an expert in the field. So I thought when we were doing... This movie, which is obviously a big starring vehicle for Madonna, a huge part of Madonna's career arc, I thought, who better than Jen to talk about it? So just very quickly in terms of, like, Madonna, what is your quick... F- yeah, uh, explain Madonna in three minutes or less. Very what- the lead here, because I'm actually yeah. a massive Madonna fan. So, But I'm the kind of Madonna fan that you have to see everything for what it is. For what it is, like, you're not a stan because... I think if you like everything that an artist does, you're not a real fan because you have to interrogate them and be unhappy with them as much as you love and enjoy whatever they do as well. So um, I don't think there's ever been, there's never been a moment in my life where I haven't known who Madonna is because my, I have like older sisters and my, one of my sisters was just a massive fan. So I've had Madonna around ever since I was born. She's a massive presence in my life. Um, at that time, at this time when this film came out, she was also in London doing a play uh, up for grabs. There's photos of me outside the theater, not waiting for her. I'm not that, I'm not sad, you guys, but just, you know, hanging around, walking by as a normal person, you know, as, you tend to do in theater land. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no. You're seeing why everybody else is there. That's just what you're doing. Exactly. It looks like it's a cool spot. Then, it's happening, yeah. At the time of her, of the wedding, of her marriage to Garbage, the time when she did get married in Skipo Castle, I was working in Tower Records at the time and I had all the banks of TVs over the uh, tills turned to Sky News, just in case. <laughs> And would regularly between customers sit on the floor, looking up at the screens, uh, just in case they were gonna go to it live to see if we could get anything. Well, all we got was they gave us the christening the night before, Rocco's christening, but there was no way they were gonna give us the wedding. So, um, and I also they made me come into work on my day off one day because my boss was so scared uh, that it was Madonna coming into the store because somebody asked for the whole shop to be shut down, and it was a woman with their child. Hope they wouldn't say who it was. Um, and it wasn't Madonna, but I went all the way into town for it to be Jemima Khan. <laughs> but so yeah, so um, yeah, no, I literally obsessed with Madonna. See, I've like got, oh God, I've seen her about five or six times live now at this stage, and so yeah, um, 
a tricky acting career, let's put it that way. Yes. Which has moved yes. into a tricky directing career and uh, writing, directing. And we're all looking forward to what she's going to do herself with her jukebox musical about herself, which was something <laughs> that she said she'd probably never do. Oh, no. Never take her at her word. That's the one thing you know about her. So. <laughs> jukebox musicals are like the most bankable sort of musicals uh, we've discovered. Mm, like, but I, I like, don't think hers is going to be like that. Like we've seen other kind of musicals where it's the artist kind of controlling the narrative of like, you know, the story that they want to tell (laughs) where like it's um, like Bohemian Rhapsody. Like it's it's exactly. Yeah. And that's that's only two two quarters of the uh, of the people in question just controlling the narrative and arguably not the one person who's at the center of that narrative controlling the the narrative. um, the original kind of I think we spoke about this when we spoke about Bohemian Rhapsody yes. where, when Sasha Baron Cohen was involved it was like yeah that, that that it's gonna be like you know it's all a build up to um Freddie Mercury dying Freddie Mercury's like, tra- no, tragic no, no. passing that's like you know in the middle of the movie <laughs> the story of Queen continues <laughs> yeah. long afterwards uh, that's the story yeah. <laughs> yeah it's the story that people want to hear but yeah, like actually, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there with regards to Madonna and regards to Madonna in Hollywood in particular. Um, and in particular where Madonna was at this moment in time. You said you saw her five times. Did you see the Drowned World Tour? Uh, that's one I didn't see. And I always regret not. Uh, she didn't come to Ireland at the time. So it was in London. Um, and I never got to go. A friend of mine was there. Very jealous. But at this time, both like just before this movie came about, like just to give you a little, it was both her and Guy Ritchie had a kind of imperial yes. phase of yes. their lives. Like, well, for another, a millionth resurgence for Madonna. So you had the music album had come out in 2000 and she had played, she'd kind of made London her base then and it played at the Brixton Academy, a small show with Richard Ashcroft in support, which boggles the mind. But music was a huge resurgence for her. And then you had obviously Snatched, was coming out at the same time. They both wore the t-shirts to promote. He had, Guy Ritchie wore a vest that had like a really tight vest with Madonna's music on the front of it. She wore the infamous Snatch t-shirts. And then they had the baby, they had Rocco. Then they had the wedding in Scotland, the christening in Scotland. And a lot of people in London were, and in the UK in general, were like taking her to their hearts at this stage. And there was a lot in Heat magazine and obviously the Hot Bitch, that was newsletter, gossip newsletter that was going around. And Madonna referenced that on stage at Brixton Academy. And that was a huge thing. She was like, the song is for all the pop bitches out there. And then like all that zeitgeisty feeling of London at that time, she was right in the epicenter of that. So for once, for once, it was like that tabloid media was on her side and it could only go downhill because that was too smooth and everybody was too happy and everybody loved their relationship that it had to fall apart uh, through the media. And luckily, that's how Swept Away happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, um, um, like, again, just in terms of talking about Madonna, at that point in her career, like, you you mentioned a million, like, she's had a million reinventions. She's, mm. a, she's a chameleon. She's done 
various things over the course of her career and like was in the process of a reinvention at this moment in time. I mean, <clears throat> there's a lot of reading of, say, music, the album you mentioned she released in 2000, as like almost a bachelorette party, as kind of like a goodbye to or at the time seen as a goodbye to like the raunchy, aggressive persona where you have things like, you know, she talks like the chorus of, of music is makes the bourgeoisie and the rabble. Yeah. This but idea like the, of kind the of like, album was full of like stuff. About, like there's a song in the album called uh, I Deserve It, that title in itself alone. And like one of the lyrics is like, this guy was meant for me and I was meant for him. And it was like, good Lord, Madonna. And mm. um, it's a great album. Do not get me wrong. Some of my favorite songs in that album, but she was very much rolled in tied into this idea now of settling down. And after having Lourdes and breaking it up with like her ex, with like Lourdes' father, um, but also keeping him in the mix. Carlos Leon never left the mix, but there was an idea that he was some kind of sperm donor and he wasn't a real relationship, which he was. We'd seen this kind of softening of Madonna through that pregnancy, through Ray Light, through Evita, which everybody just yeah. adored. There was this kind of um, muting slightly of who yes. she was in the public eye, um, which came off the back of like sex, the sex book and erotica and a very much in your face presence about sexuality um, that she actually needed to roll back on slightly to for public acceptance because that was trash yeah. everywhere um, for yeah. so long, even though it's one of, I think one of her best eras. So yeah, this goes along with that. Definitely music was that kind of phase where it was yet again like, I'm not who you think I am. I can be this person, yeah. but I can also have a damn good time being a mother yeah. and being a wife. Yeah. Because I mean, like, there's a lot of stuff in there. Like, so for example, she collaborated, Richie directed, I think, the video for What It Feels Like for a Girl, um, which was, and again, hugely controversial at the time because it depicts um, Madonna basically kind of acting out um, in a way, kind of going on a, on a rampage is probably an exaggerated way of describing it. But it was famously banned from MTV. It was only aired on MTV as part of like their nine o'clock news segment to say, look at this outrageous thing that's happening because it involves Madonna tasering men and that sort of stuff. And again, it exists very much in that context of how we talk about female pop stars and how uncomfortable we are. As somebody pointed out, if if Linkin Park had done something or Limp Bizkit had done a similar video, there'd be absolutely no problem over it. But because it was Madonna, it was seen as being controversial. But you also have well, your... You, you want it to be controversial. Otherwise it oh, she definitely it. did. Yeah. It's like right. with Justify My Love. That was banned, like MTV. Mm. And they played it like you know, after the watershed or like after midnight, I think at some stage, but she got the opportunity to bring that out as a video in itself, like that you could buy. So yeah. there's a key, there's something in keeping with that. And the thing about it is, you know, the marriage between her and Guy Ritchie, that relationship, there's also like the marriage of two distinct styles of this auteur, well, you know, young gun director who revels in violence meeting you know somebody who has these over exaggerated ideas of, of what art should be and what you know pushing the boundaries of pop so when those two decided to work together in that artistic realm it had to be extreme there was no other way it could have gone so that's the result of that is that video and it's not like banning it does it the service like, yeah no, it, it generates attention for it and kind of like puts her back in the spotlight. Um, and again, like Madonna is nothing if not a keen understander of kind of marketing and the power of 
uh, you know, getting yourself out there and generating controversy and attention. I mean, like, Swept Away came out the year before the famous kiss with uh, Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, to pick another example of Madonna kind of putting herself very much in the spotlight. And I would argue perhaps reacting against this stage that she's going through now. But yeah, it's kind of like, in terms of the Richie stuff, um, there's an interesting interview from 2001 where she talks to Ingrid Sishi in Interview Magazine. And she talks about... And I, I think this is kind of important in terms of understanding where Swept Away come, came from. She says, like, she talks about how her generation of women had been told to, and I quote, grab life by the balls, be super intelligent, get a great education, follow your dreams, kick ass, all that stuff. Then one day I feel like I woke up one day holding a golden ring and realized that smart, sassy girls who accomplish a lot and have their own cash and are independent are really frightening to men. I felt like... Why didn't somebody tell me? <clears throat> Why didn't somebody warn me? And she talked about how, like, when she got pregnant uh, with Richie, she was the one who made the first move. She moved to England. He didn't move to the States. She was the one who, after she finished her tour, kind of moved to Britain and settled in with him. And you have this kind of interesting dynamic in the press that they do around the movie, where, like, beforehand they do... Are you familiar with the BMW films, Jen? The, um... The... The... The BMW film. So like oh, in 2000. The commercial. Star, yeah. like the, the commercial star. with Clive yeah. Owen. Yeah, this, yeah. Well, like this is the problem for me. I know we'll get into this later, but like there's Madonna post Guy Ritchie relationship after they divorced 2008 um, and when she did the MDNA album. Um, she rejected everything that she had said previously in those kind of interviews because she said he dimmed my light he wanted me to be a certain person. I'm not that person. It took me a very long time to realize he was putting me down for being successful yeah. and like trying to make me feel small all the time. But the thing is, it was there from the jump. Because if you look yeah. at that commercial, that ad with Clive Owen that for BMW called Star, um, it's really upsetting because is this the image that Guy Ritchie has somebody who's in a relationship with her has of her as being this very entitled star who is kind of stripped of femininity even um, and is a cold bitch, very cold-hearted and self-centered. And, and, you know, they would say at the time she's playing into it and he's, you know, playing it up to kind of get across the message that that's not what she's really like. But that's not what he was doing. It's, it's like he's almost playing yeah. into the image that the press and certain quarters of the public already had about Madonna and feeding into that with his own brand of misogyny, which he has yeah. throughout his career. So it was a really hard time to be a Madonna fan because I remember at that time, we didn't like Guy Ritchie as a fan. I, I didn't like him because I didn't, I didn't enjoy his work really, to be honest. And, um, I, you could see that within Madonna, she was coming, becoming the, the little, he kept on calling her the missus, my missus. Yeah. And it was funny at the time, but then, and then as it went on, it was like, she's Madonna, she's nobody's missus. Like she's Madonna. Yeah, and, of... um, I think like that's there from the very get-go though, all of those feelings that she later talks about. Well, well the whole thing about Madonna is that, that's right, is that she doesn't have a surname. Like she's just Madonna. And suddenly turning yeah. her into Mrs. Ritchie well, in no, some way feels like the, it takes that away. But then, there, yeah, there was, like, like I, always, I always felt like there was a kind of like, um, like that was a kind of like an ironic Britishism 
in that it was kind of incongruous oh, to, to who she was and her kind of But uh, it definitely plays into that kind of loaded, that era of loaded, laddish, reclaiming sexism and putting a spin on it to make it acceptable. That yeah. TFI Friday, cheeky choppy, let's put like, let's the irony porn stars in our videos, like blurred, yeah. like, you know, Damien Hurst kind of over the top, you know, postcards, carry on film kind of sexism that overplayed in the British media. And he was totally a part of that, whether, mm. you know, the fact is he's not a, a barrow boy. He's not from the East End. He's not working yeah. class. He's, he's from good stock. And that's, you know, well, good in the bird kind of stock, but, you know, never let that get in the way of his own persona. And the thing about it is Madonna is the queen, the, ma- the, the mastermind of personas, but really in reality, Guy Ritchie was the one that was totally playing a part for, for all yeah. that time, I think. Um, and that's really important, I think, in that whole scheme of things. And Swept Away is definitely a culmination of all of that of, uh, at that time in British pop culture. Um, just to, to give some context there, we should mention Star was a commercial for BMW. Um, it was a range of BMW films which were overseen by David Fincher, um, who hired a bunch of directors to make short films for BMWs. The idea was all of them would star Clive Owen as the driver. The character would remain constant and would just be driving a different model of BMW in each film. Think of it as an Avengers franchise for the BMW. The directors he managed to line up included John Frankenheimer, Ang Lee, Wong Kar Wai, Alejandro Inerto, John Woo, Joe Carnahan, Tony Scott, and Neil Bonkamp. Um, and yeah, Jen, Jen is entirely right in her characterization of the Madonna thing. Like, it opens with Clive Owen delivering a monologue about the, I believe she's unnamed star played by Madonna in Star, where he talks about how, but the real heart stopper that this woman has in her galaxy of talents is her voice, a billion dollar voice. She's a legend in her lifetime. She's achieved giddy heights few have equaled. She's unrivaled in her world. And she's a complete cut. And then it cuts off. And that is very much the tone of Star. Where it's it's about him as a driver, a working class driver, putting a celebrity in her place. To the point where like the punchline at the end of the joke is that she had a coffee getting into the car. And when she gets out of it, she spilt it on herself and it looks like she's pissed herself. And the paparazzi kind of snap it up. And I remember watching that when it was released in 2001 and thinking... Why would your husband do that? Why would somebody that you love do that to you in a short film? And then I watched Swept Away. It's probably a nice segue into talking about Swept Away. Because uh, it feels very much like a continuation of those themes. So before we talk about Swept Away in a bit more depth, just three questions uh, to get us started. Jen, do you think that Swept Away is one of the worst 100 movies ever made? Ever made, um, ever made. Well, ooh, in Madonna's uh, oeuvre of cinema, it's her worst film, I think, um, for a lot of reasons. I, it, it is, it's, you know, yeah, it is one of the worst films ever made. I, I've forgotten how much, how angry it, used, it made me. Like, I haven't seen this film since it came out. And it's only my second time watching it and I forgot how angry it made me. And yeah, so why not? It's terrible. Yeah. Um, actually, this is probably a nice place to, to talk just before we continue. But like you talk about Madonna's oeuvre and like Madonna gets a lot of flack as an actress. And I think she is not a great actor is probably a reasonable movies, way though. to frame it. I do think she's... Very. I was, I was about to, hold on, hold on. Would you let me make my point? 
Would you let me make my point before you jump in there? I think she is arguably and ironically to Guy Ritchie's point. She is a star in that I think that when she is used right and when she plays her star persona, she is very effective on screen. I like her as Breathless in Dick Tracy, for example. I think she's very good in Evita. Um, and I think that sort of stuff works well. I don't think she's a strong performer per se. But what is your assessment of Madonna as a movie star? I think like, women directors deal with know her they understand her they get what to do with her they get that element of just joie de vivre about madonna as a concept so when you have something like you know desperately seeking susan and you know that's susan Solomon, and then you have penny marshall with a league of their own they understand innately what to do with madonna and that celebration of being a woman and, and of life that she has within her that's so exciting and so intoxicated and why she is great at doing what she's doing at doing what she does and yes people are saying it's just a slight exaggeration of her persona both of those roles but that's what's so exciting about it and you do best with what you know and what you're and what she's good at and she is this amazing performer and when she performs in those films when it feels like she's comfortable that's when she's, you know, leaning on her strengths. And I think the problem is with a lot of men, with a lot of male directors, they want to subjugate her. They want to hurt her. They want to break her. They want her to feel small because she's such a powerful figure. I, but I do believe something like Abel Ferreira's film, Dangerous Game, or Harvey Keitel, is probably one of her best performances as an actress, as brutal and as grinding as that film is. He, there is a part of it where it does strip away at the persona and you get to see what she could be as an actress if she didn't, if she wasn't Madonna. The Madonna-ness of Madonna gets in the way of her being an actress and she can't escape that. So like, whereas somebody like Elvis, like just to give an example, had to lean into being an icon and those films were built around him as an icon. Madonna doesn't want to do that. She wants to have it every way. And be an actress as well and be an, like strip away at the, the person she's created and it doesn't necessarily work but I think a lot of the films that she's in with, with male directors with certain male directors they do want to punish her for for being a strong woman outside of that and you notice those roles but she's also kind of complicit in that too yeah. um, she is complicit in wanting to strip away those layers I'm, I'm, I'm like do the most gritty thing that the most unexpected thing that she can do so there's a dichotomy there but I think she's at her best when it's documentary I mean I don't think there's anything you'll get a better documentary about music yes. than in bed with Madonna you won't um it's amazing and to see someone so wrong, dare as well right uh, well yeah that's in bed with Madonna it's the same yeah. film oh, sorry. but also she did um I'm going to tell you a secret which was the behind the scenes shot by Jonas Ackerland of her uh, tour, the reinvention tour. And that's another insight into her and Guy Ritchie's relationship as well. And for her to lay herself bare at both stages of her career is a massive thing, but also she shows how to behave in the spotlight so well that I think those both those films, especially like In Bed with Madonna is just the gold standard of documentaries that no star can ever reach and no female pop star would ever put themselves in that position ever again or can be that clever um, at concealing and revealing who they are on screen and being in love, half in love with the camera, like the way 
that, you know, Warren Beatty talks about her in it. Like he said, she just doesn't, she's always performing. She, you know, she's doing it for you. She won't switch off. She's not a person. She's not a human. And um, that side of it. And then, you know, the performative nature of her going through Mother's Brave and bringing the cameras along and everything like that. Everything is a performance, but also there's a flip side to it where there's a, a weird vulnerability in it too, that when you mine it, when you keep watching it, you're like, why is she doing this? It's because she wants to be, she wants to be loved. She's so desperate for your attention. Um, and I don't think anybody would put themselves in that position ever again. And like, if we get nothing out of Madonna, nothing else out of Madonna as an actress, I think we actually got our best performances with those documentaries. I mean, it, it's always kind of felt like an artist who's trying to kind of squeeze as much juice as they can out, out, out of themselves and like give as much as they can. And even even like in, in the like, I, I hate this movie, but it, it, it feels like she's trying to exploit like even some of the or that may, may, maybe it's fair to say like that Guy Ritchie is trying to exploit some of the kind of um, ill feeling um uh, to 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 towards her from the public and that and that the like um uh, i mean she's I, 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 I don't i don't know how like if it, it i guess it doesn't feel like a, a a comfortable kind of performance for her um but the, but that it that it is kind of like another kind of dimension of um of her persona or like the, the a, another kind of, um, <laughs> you know that that that's, that 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 is trying is trying to explore something some something else something that like personally I didn't really want to see, <laughs> but um, but that 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 again it's 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 yeah it's her kind of being uh, kind of stripped bare. Like I, I guess, kind of figuratively and and like and literally, physically even, yeah, like yeah. I, I, yeah. Um, yeah. And there being something kind of like daring about that that maybe in a better movie would 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 have um, kind of earned her some plaudits, but um, it's difficult <laughs> given given what this is. Yeah, I, I think there's a bit to unpack there. Like, again, because I am, like, a, a masochist, I listen to the commentary. And, like, you have Richie talking on the commentary about how he... I thought it would give people who dislike Madonna another opportunity to dislike Madonna, is basically one of his quotes about it. I have some other quotes about it that we, we'll get to later on, because I feel they're more that's germane crazy. then. But, yeah, but, that's like, so, this is her husband. So this insane. is her husband, like, while they were married, recording the commentary on this. Um... And it, it, what's interesting is like the thing that Jen and I think Andrew both alluded to there, which is the idea like Madonna is part of this. Like Madonna under, is smart enough to know what she's doing yeah, here. And I think like the, suggest, the suggestion is that I, I think Jen made, made the point there. And I think Madonna herself made the point in that interview where she's like, because of how the public perceive women of a certain age, there's a sense of, well, you have to like, because the sense in which she's been so, so successful for so long and because of how we treat older women where like if they don't disappear from public life we feel like they should be ashamed of that um particularly back then but even now to be entirely honest there's a sense of and again this is not I, when i make this comparison it is not equivalent um because when tom cruise does this it is not layered with all the misogyny and hatred 
and all the other awful stuff that it's layered with here. But it reminds me a lot of what Tom Cruise does with the later Mission Impossibles, where he turns them into a way of laundering the audience's discomfort with him through it. So, like, you talk about the later Mission Impossible movies where a large part of the appeal of going to see Fallout is watching Tom Cruise break his ankle live on camera. It's watching him do a stunt where he's go- he may possibly die. It's a plot line that hinges on him standing in front of his ex-wife and saying, yeah, I was a bad husband, and I openly admit that, now can't we move past that? Um, and there's a sense of, like, through the screen persona laundering that. And, like, one of the interesting aspects of Swept Away which is frankly terrible, um, is is the way in which you feel like Madonna is like kind of trying a little bit of that where she's like, I understand that people are now terrified of me and I need to be what society expects an older woman to be and to show that I can be taken down a notch, that I'm in on the joke, um, which is That's really, it. really uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, it's really I really feel unpleasant. like it's like... The joke is actually on, it's still on her, no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Even like, it, Guy Ritchie is doing that very clever thing that misogynist, sexist guys did at that time of the resurgence of sexism when there was the Ladettes and all of that jazz, where women were compliant in their own joke. Um, so it you were either like an annoying bitch if you think you were just an annoyance or else you could be a cool girl who'd seaside manner that everyone was going on with and you could either get in on that or just be dead to these guys and it's sad it's a very sad state of affairs to see Madonna reducing herself to the punchline for Guy Ritchie and his mates um, and that's the saddest thing about Swept Away really is that he, she came to him with the idea to remake the film. So, um, and, and said that, you know, he would have no idea about this film if it wasn't if not for her. Yeah. And then it's almost like he turned that against her in a way to, to make it the, the worst kind of depiction of Madonna and to make her look like a fool. So that's a nice kind of uh, something to remember their marriage by, because I think that's all he did throughout their marriage was try to reduce her and make her look like a fool. Yeah. And, and again, like just just to put some context in here, you have things like Rupert Everett saying that Guy Ritchie was extremely uncomfortable with all of her gay friends. Um, things yeah. like the wedding toast or the, the I don't know whether it was the rehearsal dinner or the wedding toast where I think her brother Christopher walked out because of the homophobic jokes that were made during it um, you have obviously the idea of Christopher himself being cut out now Christopher uh, himself goes like, on even to an like, interview yeah. with Guy Ritchie yeah sorry oh there's an interview with Guy Ritchie at uh, the time of the film in a swept away I think where he says that um, oh we could have seen the boogery scene because you know, boogery's just not in fashion anymore, you guys, kind of laughing about, yet again, like, gay sex, like, and it's just, it was continuous with that, and then he said in another interview, well, I mean, I couldn't be a homophobe if I'm married to Madonna, because that's the other people that she hangs around with. There's always a wink at the end of it, there's always a nastiness to it. it, and they were the kind of people that he was hanging around with, you know, you're, yeah. you're 
boxers, your East End pub publicans, the faux gangsters. Isn't it Rock and Roller has a recurring plot point where Jared Butler is deeply uncomfortable with the idea that Tom Hardy finds him attractive? Like there's a real gay exactly. panic kind of subtext in the, the kind of movie that he makes uh, too after this one. Um, and again, like you mentioned there, the idea that Madonna brought Swept Away to Richie. And it, it's, again, and you, you mentioned, and it's important to mention that, that like Madonna has disavowed a lot of her public statements at the time. Like in hindsight, saying that wasn't me speaking. But it's it's interesting to read, like, there's a Guardian interview where they talk about the genesis of the project. And, like, Alan Ryden goes, whose idea was it to remake Swept Away? And Guy Ritchie goes, initially it was mine. And Madonna says, you liar. Ritchie says, it was mine. Madonna says, it wasn't his, that's a total lie. Ritchie says, darling, not so. You brought the film, I watched the film with you, and I said someone should remake that film. And Madonna eventually settles down and goes, okay, it was suggested both of us. Both of us agreed this, for example. And you have like the conversation where like she's talking about how I, I'm attracted to this man. Before I met Guy, my idea of a perfect man would be someone intelligent and clever enough, but also kind and compassionate enough, um, which sounds like a real burn to Richie, where it it's does. like, <laughs> yeah, it's like before I met Guy, I wanted somebody intelligent and clever and also kind and compassionate. But Guy's a real macho and a real hard nose too. Sometimes we come to blows, not physically, but mentally and emotionally. And there's an element, a tiny little element in there that I'm attracted to men who are going to stand up to me. And it, it's weird how, again, playing into, playing into, again, it, like when you talk about that culture of the, the early 2000s, is it like Female Chauvinist Pigs written by uh, Ariel Levy, which was yeah. one of the kind of books, yeah, which is like raunch culture. And again, the idea of like that cool girl monologue you get later on in Gone Girl, where it mm. talks about the idea of how you play along in order to fit in. But sorry, this has been a tangent upon a tangent. Um, before we, we go, one more thing that uh, before we continue to ask Andrew the question, when you mentioned that Guy Ritchie uh, quote about like buggery just not being in fashion, another quote from the commentary, um, which... I found very revealing in terms of like the artistic intent behind this movie um, is that uh, they don't really make movies where people slap women anymore. It's his artistic statement about slapped away. One of the reasons why he made it so was they because away. they. <laughs> um, all right. And Andrew, what about you? Is swept away one of the worst 100 movies ever made? Yeah, it's terrible. It's so, so bad. Like they, I did it. It's um, it's kind of, it's silly that it that it that they that 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 guy Richie made this, like oh, did presumably there was a point where it was kind of like a gravity, and it's like we've 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 started, and it's going terribly, <laughs> but like dude, we can't kind of we can't stop it now, and we have to do it's it. It's just inevitable. Release <laughs> it and promote it and. Like, I, or, or, like you've listened to the commentary, you, you, you masochist. Like, what was was? Does he apologize or no? No. Every, everybody making it like, and this includes everybody like Elizabeth Banks, who has a small role and who has become like a friend of Madonna. She did a really good interview with Madonna around 2016 when she was transitioning into directing uh, with Pitch Perfect Two, um, and even like Bruce uh, Greenwood, um, who's 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 like really good actor. He like every time it comes up, he talks about how much fun it was to shoot the movie. Apparently, the moment that they realized it all went wrong was during the edit um, and during the release cycle. Was it, it a bad bombed. edit? Or, um, or was it just in the? They're good at it. It should be. Where's the good edit? 
<laughs> well, like, apparently the original cut of this was two hours long. And then they screened it for test audiences. And apparently they, like, it sounds like something from Ed Wood, the way he describes it. It sounds like they picked up chairs and threw them at the screen. I was so his so response was to cut half an hour out of it when, and hope that... When I saw that it was like an hour and 29 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> thank you. This is, like, thank yeah. God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No more. Please make it stop. Um... And also, yeah, I mean, like the other thing with the with the thing that the production of this is apparently it was such a blow to Richie. Like we have this to blame for like this is indirectly responsible for Daniel Craig being James Bond, because what happens is Richie is supposed to go from directing this to directing Lair Cake. Matthew Vaughn, um, after this, he is so exhausted and beaten down that he says, no, I can't do Lair Cake. His producer, Matthew Vaughn, steps on to Lair Cake. He hires Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig is hired to be Bond. That is apparently um, how this well, movie this guy, indirectly... going to hire somebody else? I don't know. Clive it's an Owen. anecdote. I guess. <laughs> like Jared the... Butler. Um... <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God, no. And <laughs> the... um, Lair Cake is the famous film that's the Levison trial is Lair Cake yeah. because that's when all the phone tapping of Sienna Miller and Daniel Craig... And that's when they had their affair. That's when that all went down. So it's such yeah. a little time capsule in itself. Yeah. You, it's all connected. You it's all on Jamal a line. McCann earlier. Was it the, the, yeah. the thing with yeah. Hugh Grant? All connected. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and for myself, I normally hedge on this answer. But yes, absolutely. This is one of the worst 100 movies ever made. Um, this is stunningly terrible. Um, this is possibly... The worst movie that we have covered on this podcast. I think there's a solid argument to be made. I feel and honored. <laughs> and, and, yeah, no, I feel like I owe both of you an apology. I had not seen this beforehand. I thought this would be a nice Guy Ritchie's third film, our fourth, you know, pop star centric kind of study. I was like, I had no idea that a man could hate his wife enough to make this. Yeah, um, sorry, I felt, that's, I felt that's... like the the movie would be some sort of like celebration of yeah. like you know the like like. So kind like Spice of World. camp silly movie. Yeah, exactly. Like Spice yeah. World or Glitter, where men who vote on the 250 really hate it because it's not like sufficiently hateful <laughs> towards women. But yeah. um, but this is, yeah, it's, 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 it, I guess it yeah. just shows how much people, um, uh, when they're encouraged to, can uh, hate Madonna. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the only other movie we talked about that comes close is the Vladimir Putin propaganda movie about the invasion of Ukraine. I was wondering that's about the only that, one that whether, kind of, whether that yeah, was that's, that's, be... that's the only one that kind of edges it out in terms of worst movies we've covered for this podcast. So Guy Ritchie's like Madonna movie or the Russian invasion of Ukraine. It's either of those two. <laughs> um, all right, the, together. <laughs> yeah. We, we, Which is the worst? <laughs> we have to wait for all of those. Um, like, do, do, we, we have to wait to see if uh, if there's a movie about uh, Alexei Navalny that gets on the list. <laughs> yeah. um, if, well, if... there is a, there's already a Polish, yeah, there's a Polish, like, QAnon movie that is on the list that I've been putting off us covering. <laughs> oh, dear. Um... <laughs> oh, my God, what? <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll come back to that. But Jen... <laughs> Polish QAnon. No, quick question. So, um, is it one of the worst 100 movies you've ever seen? Oh, away. without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, I saw this when it came out, obviously, as a completist. Madonna fans put themselves through a lot, I'm just going to say. I mean, but like, it kind of goes, like I was saying about that up for grabs, that play that she was in, in London at that time, just 
before Swept Away came out. That all plays into the same thing because there's a lot of degradation, sexual de degradation on screen, on, on the stage in that play as well. So um, it's really, a, it's sad as a Madonna fan to, to watch someone that's so um, together and strong and has a great sense of themselves, you would think, uh, to watch that on screen be torn to shreds by her husband. Um, it's a very, very weird watch. So yeah, I hope I, I never have to watch it again. But I do remember yeah, like sorry. initially, <laughs> it's traumatic <laughs> for me. But I remember initially when I first watched it thinking, you know, um, Madonna has a, a great stylist, she's a stylist, Ariane Phillips. Um, and she does a really good job on this film. So I remember thinking, well, at least she looks like the clothes are still great. A lot of Versace, I'm happy with that. Um, other than that, I was kind of like, Guy Ritchie doesn't know how to shoot his own wife to make her look like a movie star or make her look like Madonna. Um, it's the same with the video for uh, What It Feels Like For A Girl. A lot of shadow in that film that's not, uh, in that video that's not very complimentary. Um, yeah. And you can see that again and all of swept away and i think that's another thing uh that's really off-putting so yeah and in, so it, it would be one of the, the in the mix of like i mean god i've seen some bad films but yeah that's that's one of the saddest ones i've ever had to watch this <laughs> pleasure to have to see and like yeah like and in, in, in star arguably richer makes like clive owen look more appealing than Beautiful. madonna which is yeah he does he looks absolutely like like we talked i think when we talked about like um lock socket two smoking barrels and snatch we made we asked like the question there really are no women's parts in these movies like i don't think guy it's like guy richie has never met a woman that's what these films feel well, like to me well, because Madonna's role in this film is so bizarre. Like, there's no in, there's no internalization of that as as her as a character at all. Well, there's no internalization for anyone, but she really comes off the worst of it. You know, there are um, there are boozers that women don't come into. There you so go. They, they, like, there's some of them in Dublin. Um, His own book, the Punch Bowl. Yeah, uh, yeah, where probably does as well. We always love the way uh, that he says he listens to Irish rebel songs. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, but like, I was watching Swept Away, and my first one of my thoughts that ran through my head was, you know, I kind of regret now saying that Guy Ritchie doesn't like put parts for women in his movies because it feels like some monkey paw somewhere shriveled up when I said that. I was like, okay, Darren. We'll give you a Guy Ritchie movie with lots of women parts. Um, um, and it's Andy, what about yourself? Is this Madonna one of the worst? Either. It's like Elizabeth Banks. No, no, it's all the women. Like it's all the women. She is. And yeah. She's like 14 years old um, is like one of the lines. Um, yeah. Was it? What's the line? Uh, she's stupid, isn't she, Todd? Says Bruce Greenwood at That's one point. That's when like in a paddling pool, but they're supposed to be in a <laughs> Mediterranean. Had a snorkel on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, um, is this like at, one of the and at that point Bruce Greenwood is like our most sympathetic character we'll talk about him later on but like at, to that point Bruce Greenwood is like the guy who wore a nice shirt at dinner and isn't too bad to the help and that's our most sympathetic character he's like is... your girlfriend Todd she's an idiot isn't she he's yes the... she is You can. he's the guy who looks like Lance Armstrong is he yes yeah. yes he is I was like um, can I... I know that guy what have I seen him in oh yeah Tour de France he, like um... <laughs> The Livestrong bracelets and all that. And has reinvented thing. himself. Yeah, um, yeah. He he was a CGI monster in Super 8. That was one way of getting his career back on track. <laughs> okay. um, 
that was that was Bruce. But yes, um, Andrew, is it one of the worst one hundred movies you have ever seen? It's a fucking shit it movie. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. And it's like it's bad in ways that specifically hurt me. Like it's got a lot of kind of like um, food waste. Yeah, dangly jewelry and um, yeah, like. Um, like the nature boy is like just like throwing cigarettes in the sea um uh, by the way like again not not to jump too far so ahead, much but food in terms waste of it, and egg, so, like egg like, waste and throwing kind of i don't think that spoils too much i hate all of that but also it, it's like the, it's 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 a erotic kind of murder fantasy sort of yes. it's all about like falling in love with one's abuser and like it should be kind of, um, I don't know. It it should come with warnings. Like it, it's really kind of um, uh, yeah, yeah. When we talked about three hundred and sixty-five days, like I I hedged a little bit because part of me was like, look, this is written by a woman who said that this is her particular fantasy, and it's co-directed by a woman. And me as a man, I'm comfortable saying that this is uncomfortable. It has uncomfortable connotations. But it's her story and I feel uncomfortable judging her for it. Right. But there's a real aspect of Swept Away that is very much like, no, this is this is a dude's fantasy about hurting women I mean, and like subjugating them. And yeah, and there, like, there, there, there's an extent to which, a, like, a, 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 well, sorry, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm not qualified to talk about it. With, 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 with 365 days, you kind of don't want to be in the position where, where you're like, well, if that's your fantasy, you feel sorry for them because, like, you know, if if they if they have control over that kind of um scenario, or it's or it's a kind of a a, uh, or if it's play, um, and and it's it's it, they they uh, retain their agency while you know uh, subjugating themselves or being kind of dominated by another person, then then like who are we to judge? And you know, people like what they like. Um, but yeah, this is but, felt, felt very different. Yeah, this feels very much like it's it's a like there's a fancy sequence early on where like Peppy kind of like doesn't just brutalize her; he like cooks her husband, and it's like this is a very weird fantasy that this movie is playing out. Now Pepe is in charge, he says as he prepares to fight National Treasure Bruce Greenwood. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry, but yes. So my my answer is yes. Yes, Swept Away is, is one of the worst 100 movies I have ever seen. I was not prepared for how bad it would be. And then final question before we jump into the spoiler zone. Jen, if listeners have not seen Swept Away and we have not persuaded them otherwise, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and watch Swept Away? No, and that's such a shame for me to say because I think generally I can recommend some Madonna, most Madonna films for certain sequences or a moment, I would give them credit for and go watch that bit. Even if you don't like the film in general, there's always something to, to give it some kind of value. This has no inherent value. There's there's not, a, I, the only good thing I can say about it is her hair when she's on the island is perfect. So that, I mean, that was the only thing that mesmerized me watching, re-watching it. I was like, God, her hair looks so good in those island scenes and then I was kind of like I missed that like layered curled bob thing she had going on then at that time um that that's all I could recommend it for they don't even let her have a song 
in it. Yes. What is a Madonna film without a song? Like even a song on the soundtrack. I know Abel Ferrer didn't either, but that was a very different film. <laughs> but at least even with Body, like Body of Evidence, you had Bad Girl. Come on, that's one of the best things about it. Like so, do not give her a bloody song. And also, Guy Ritchie is there's an in joke at the very, very opening of the film, which I actually hated and I forgot about. They're playing uh, Goldfrapp, Felt Mountain at the opening of the, the film. And at that time, Hot Bitch, the, the gossip uh, website, uh, said that there was, when Madonna was doing music, um, there was uh, the whole rumors going around in her record company uh, in the UK that she wanted it to sound little bit like gold frap but they were calling her old frap behind her back so that even beginning with like with that in joke where it's taking the piss out of your wife for being older is gross uh so even the music that's used in it is somehow trying to insult her which i just yeah. so no i can't recommend it even for somebody who'd be curious to watch it uh no just look at the nice pictures online and you can see her really great bikini and good hair <laughs> that's I'm all yeah, the the fact that there's no Madonna song is like, and it's not just that there's no Madonna song; it's that the film is designed to emphasize the fact that there's no Madonna song. In that, mm. like, there are several places where there could easily have been a Madonna song if Richie wanted to share authorship of it. If Richie wanted to say, "Yeah, no, she's a creative partner; she's a creative equal here," because you have the sequence where she sings. Uh, to him in a fantasy sequence but she's lip syncing you have a montage sequence later on that's set to a love ballad that could easily have been a madonna song if it had chosen to um it's a and it just... star they use a mazzy star like and i was thinking she has written you a whole album like full of love songs about you and you can't even use one of them yeah you know yeah. Which that like that that kind of was a bit stunning to me on watching. It's like, yeah, you're you're casting a pop star and you are taking away her voice in a very literal sense. Um but Andrew, what about yourself? Would you recommend people pause the podcast and watch Swept Away? Um no. No. I I, I um there 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 was there, there was a point in the movie where fair enough she wasn't singing, but where there was a kind of like a um I think you made reference to it there. Um, it felt like the most convincing part of the movie for me, where it was kind of like a um, music video for I think it was um, a dream sequence. Come on yeah. to my house, was it? Yeah, where where and even the way it was shooting her, was kind of like ce- celebrating that very kind of like you know in control sort of, um, vivacious kind of, almost dangerous threatening sexuality, um that 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 that. that that is the more kind of compelling thing about about Madonna, like um, um, I don't know, but 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 but, but the, no, I wouldn't recommend the, the 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 rest of the movie at all. Um, I'm it, I it's it's not very long. Um, but it feels long. It does. It does. It 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 it, it and it, it it doesn't really kind of zip. Um, but sorry, Jen. No, Jen. no, we'll, we'll talk. Well, sorry, yeah. We'll no, I just think there's a point there that I just was thinking there because we were talking about like having her music in it and another reason why it probably doesn't include anything musically to do with her is because it's not a film for madonna fans it's a film for people who hate madonna Mm. and who hate madonna's persona and who hate her as as a pop star and want to see her degraded that's who this film is for so if that's who you are as a person you should watch swept away it's definitely your film but uh, yeah. that's probably another reason why they don't have the music what, what, what was there kind of a um 
like I, I feel like we we've kind of made some reference to it. But was it, was there a sense in which Madonna at this point was kind of wanting to appeal to people who hate her, to kind of yeah. like jump 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 on this dog pile on top of me and like mm. kind of hate me more, um, and almost kind of feeding it, um, yeah, yeah, which which is kind of well, uh, I, I I guess it's 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 good that it kind of when she's kind of come out the other side of that, that she's been able to kind of, I guess, um, uh, disown some Reclaim. of that. So, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I mean, like, again, to, to put... Sorry. Yeah. Uh, to, to, put, to put it in context, and again, before I, I read out any of these figures or statistics, that there was a larger problem happening in the music industry at the time. It was called Napster and file sharing, and music sales were down across the board. But again, because she was a woman who reached a certain age, it seemed like the knives were very much out. So you had like a New York Times piece that was published the year after Swept Away talking about how <clears throat> music released in 2000 has sold 2.9 copy, 2.9 million copies. Ray of Light released in 1998 has sold 3.7 million copies. But that's that's nothing compared to like A Virgin, which sold more than 10 million copies since its release. Uh, Madonna's label, Maverick or Warner Brothers, which is owned by AO, uh, AOL Time Warner, desperately needs a hit. Its market share price has fallen uh, to 4.74% from 6.74% a year earlier. And that's a problem because she was also, I believe, co-chairman of that as well. Um, so there was this perception that she needed a hit. Ironically, of course, it was. It should also be pointed out that like the Drowned World Tour that had taken place, as we discussed the year beforehand, was the highest grossing tour for a solo artist in that year. I believe it was only outgrossed by U2's tour at the same time to give a sense of scale. Um, but there was a kind of a sense of like, again, everything that happens when an act, when a woman in a career or a field gets to a certain age and the immediate response is she's no longer cool. She's embarrassing herself. She should hang up. She should settle down. She should become more respectable, whatever that means. And again, it's very notable, as Jen has pointed out, like Madonna came. One of the things that defined Madonna as an artist was the control of her sexuality and her brand. And I think Andrew said the way in which she made that kind of dangerous and appealing. And it's notable how much of Swept Away consists of like slut shaming her, even though she doesn't really seem to be that sexual in it. Mm. Like the movie's actually aggressively less sexual than the 1974 Italian original. Um, well, Guy lot... Ritchie said that it was because he didn't want anyone to see his missus naked. And it's like, that ship has sailed, Hon. Have you not got a copy of Sex? We've like I've seen gyroscopic pictures of Madonna. I know what her insides look more than my own. Like, so I'm sorry, but I don't know what he was trying to do there. And it's like that reclaiming of her as the missus, as his wife, as his yeah. property fed into swept away as well. Yeah, like like there's an actual quote from her, I think. I don't know, it's it's like Entertainment Weekly, where she says, you know, I didn't mind it, but Guy didn't want to do it, to tell you the truth. Um, and he talked about how pathetic it would be to see tits and ass on screen. He wanted passion is apparently what he wanted, um, which is and like all of the interviews have a very like. And again, we'll we'll talk about the critical response to it later on in the spoiler zone. But like a lot of the interviews are very weirdly like fixated on like that image of him directing somebody making out with his wife. And every time it comes up, he he makes the same joke, which is like always a bad sign in interviews where it's like. I know exactly what I'm going to say about this because I've been thinking about this a very long time, which is, 
Oh, don't worry. When they were filming love scenes, I was sitting three feet away with a giant pointy stick. Um, and it's like, okay, this is somebody who is clearly very comfortable with what is going on here and feels very comfortable talking about it. Sorry, I, I, sorry apologies. I shouldn't be so... Um, anyway, but yes, uh, I would not recommend this at all. Uh, under And I feel bad that I asked Jen to watch it. I feel bad I asked Andrew to watch it. I feel bad that I watched it. Um, and I feel I would feel bad if any listeners had watched this um, for this episode. So don't watch it. Uh, you can jump in. It's a very basic story. Um, we'll walk you through it in the spoiler zone. It's not really. And with that like, in mind, for, and just... for direct, like, I've listened to Guy Ritchie talk about, like, how he, he's really into kind of, like, uh, the, like, Campbellian hero myths and and fair enough it was a movie that got read made already before but it's not really much of a um story it feels like i i, I like um it's 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 kind of like i was watching it and i was thinking kind of like what's going to, what's going to happen in this movie and when it became clear it was like okay like what else is going to happen um and it was just kind of it um, and then there was an hour left in the runtime yeah, um anyway um, all right. I think this is the first time that everybody on this panel has said, everybody on a panel on an episode has said, don't watch this movie. So, yeah, with that tell in mind, people to watch it anyway, just so that they listen to the rest of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to segue neatly into the spoiler zone. So, Jen, what is swept away about for you? Jesus. Um, (laughs) Well, the original film was more about a kind of communist uh, sailor boy who uh, was annoyed with this ultra-capitalist woman, wife of a guy that was on this boat uh, that they'd hired and it was more of an argument as those gorgeous Italian uh, socio-political films were in the 1970s it was more of a a filmic argument about uh, capitalism the communism but in this film Guy Ritchie has kind of gotten rid of all that and there's a weird kind of uh, I don't think anybody was really thinking about communism too much in, in in the early 2000s so it is weird when they start talking about it as if it's something that is a threat to their very being right there at that moment. It's a, it's an odd starting point. So basically the film that Guy Ritchie made is more focused on stripping away the kind of political edge of it and more just about a woman who is the wife of a very successful man, which is also weird because she seems like a more prominent person. Um, they hire a boat to her and her stupid friends that are nobodies um, they to go from Italy to Greece or Greece to Italy and there is crew on the boat and one of the crew guys uh, really takes umbrage with the way she's treating him and but also you can see he kind of fantasizes about her they have a weird free song and then they get stranded on an island where he basically brutalizes her and it's also kind of played out as some kind of Stockholm syndrome but also kind of uh, that she actually loves it in, in reality and they 
form a kind of coupling uh, that will never last in the outside world. There's a sense in which she's very not very much not happy um, kind of before she arrives on the island as well and and is is kind of bullied into kind of a, 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 this kind of um, I don't know it, it holiday yeah the, it's it feels more like um, it feels like what she what she maybe wanted was the um, the simplicity of island life without any of the abuse, you know, like like that 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 maybe <laughs> maybe that was kind of like as as much as she kind of like wanted or needed. I I I don't see how the um, kind of like calling him master and but they they they. Maybe that plays into what Madonna said about kind of um, uh, fe- feeling feeling like as a strong kind of woman who kind of had her mm. together that men were um, uh, terrified of her. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and... We should note, by the way, when the studio screen swept away for Alina Wertmuller, the director of the original like nineteen seventy four version, and I have no source <laughs> for this. Sick. <laughs> I have no source for this aside from the IMDb trivia page, but I just feel like it needs to be acknowledged. It's, it's alleged. Podcast. Yeah, it's alleged that Lena Wertmeyer left the theater at the end crying out, "What did they do to my movie? Why? Why did they do this?" Um, <laughs> Terrible. Like, which I just kind of I feel like that. Correct. Just... <laughs> yeah. I know, but I, know, like, but even, I... I have not. Just to say, I've not watched the original, and I don't think I'd like that too much either. No. But uh, you know, it's a very of its time film, a very of its time argument, a political argument, which I don't think had any kind of need to be updated, really. Yeah, for like all. the end of history, like, and again, like this was like written before 9-11 it was shot directly afterwards there was security on set but again you know you're in the 90s like capitalism won there's no real debate about communism as a viable alternative particularly not in europe and like this is the thing that i well, that I, comes across in the movie like yeah, yeah, all of does. the kind of discussions about capitalism seem like very sort of um freshman-esque sort of the the like but it's so unnatural yeah, yeah. It's so forward. it just comes out of nowhere it's... and for no reason. Yeah. And um, I mean and I just think that, you know, if Guy Ritchie was trying to down for one type of film and want to broaden his appeal, he's it really shows him up as very bad. Very like limited. with the basic of yeah cinema like it, it i mean it's very insincere it's got no plot it's got no characterization and it really shows him up uh for a film that maybe he wanted to show his wife up it actually ends up showing him up for all his limitations very weak dialogue i mean it's and kind of yeah um, and it's the script is credited to him exclusively as well so like this is all him like this is not like he was given a bad script it's like no he chose to do it and he wrote the script and he directed it this is all on him as far as auteur theory it, goes it's, it's like i don't know like, like why did he do this because it, 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 there, there's like a sort of like there's a kind of like there's a sort of a cleverness thank you thank you lena wertmeyer um <laughs> in in like um uh lock stock and in snatch 
where like the way they're 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 kind of structured and there's a lot of kind of like memorable sort of lines in it that um you know become very kind of mimetic. Um but and this is just such dog shit like um <laughs> And there was no I like that. that. That's the that's the Danish school of filmmaking to which this belongs. Um, but the, the dog did ninety five. Uh, what I what I will say though is like two things on that. Like first of all, there's a really uncomfortable moment early on where you can see Richie trying to apply his style to this kind of film, which is the moment where um, Giuseppe goes and gets the gym, and you have like the two characters who are telling the stories and it's cross-cutting between them. And you can tell, oh, that's a, that's a Guy Ritchieism. He's trying to do something similar to it's how his like characters It's like it's been talk. done by somebody who's yeah. not Guy Ritchie. Yeah. It's weird. Yeah. And, and it has no place in this movie that we're talking about here. And like you mentioned, and, and Jen's entirely right about it showing him off. Like, I have a very variable opinion of, of Ritchie. I quite like Snatch. I think Snatch and his version of Sherlock Holmes are good movies. The rest of his I could just forget about and this is downright terrible and Arthur is downright terrible. But it's notable that after he does this, he runs immediately back to right. like the lock stock well. He goes back and he does uh, Revolver, which I know when we talked about Snatch, Sean thinks that Revolver is a hidden classic of British cinema. I am not going to get into that particular debate right now. Um, and then he does Rock and Roller with Jared Butler, which is exactly what you think it is. It's 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 reasonable, but like, and it becomes every Guy Ritchie movie is filtered through the lens of, but he's a geezer. So it's like King Arthur. So what if we do King Arthur? But he's a geezer. Aladdin. What if we do Aladdin? But he's a geezer. Sherlock Holmes. What if we do Sherlock Holmes? But he's a geezer. And it really does feel like, you know, Swept Away was like the one movie where you and like you could even go Giuseppe's kind of a kind of a geezer. But like it's the one moment where like Richie steps outside of himself and like stumbles so terribly that he's like, that I must really, never happen again. Like, I, I just don't get how this. The, it's so like, why? The, what, the, what, why would why would he think that he could do this? Like, because like, like there is an interview with Madonna about yet again I think it's in the Vanity Fair interview around that time where she says like he couldn't even stay awake or hadn't got the patience to sit through a Bellini film um, right. and yet she brings him this as something that they could work on together so I mean I don't know what she was thinking I, I couldn't find kind of put this in the same bracket as that terrible Brangelina film by the sea uh, about the, you know, Angelina, the disintegration of a marriage uh, at, you know, the picturesque Riviera, um, which was like destroyed as being a vanity project. And, but that was when Angelina were more or less maybe on the skids. This was like, you know, Guy and Madonna just beginning their life together, apparently. They still had a way to go. And for that to be like the, the first thing that you properly collaborate on together, it, it, it was really a warning shot of uh, how bad things really were in that marriage because it's like a misunderstanding from the get-go then you know for her maybe she wanted to update this so they, like it would mess with the public perception of who she is yet again um, and for him he stripped it of, of any the main thing about this film that's the difference is that um, he changed the ending she yeah. wanted it to have the original ending where the woman in the film whose name I can't remember the character's name Amber Amber, whatever. She <laughs> actually has some kind of agency 
and uh, the Pepe character proposes to her and she says, no, we're never going to work in the outside world and goes. And it's very telling to me that Guy Ritchie said, no way, don't want the original ending, want to change it to the husband having the control yeah. over his wife. And that's how the film ends. And I just think that, you know, that collaboration from whatever side that Madonna was thinking, God knows what was going on in her head to bring Guy Ritchie this film and for him to put a stamp on it in that way is all just bad. And it just shows how they were not compatible artistically yeah. at all. They were at two different well, levels. It's, it, uh, and we should, we should know, but like Andrew asked how this happened and why Guy Ritchie thought he could he do it. He wanted I mean, to make a domestic, honest, domestic like, violence comedy. Well, I mean, yes. I mean, well, that- you kind of think this film, you know, should have the the uh, <laughs> the, the subtitle, you know, watch Madonna get slapped. Who doesn't yes. want to watch Madonna get slapped? You know, and it's yeah. very much played for that. It's very much played to rile people up and go, "You wait, she's going to get her comeuppance. You, you won't believe it." Like at one that's point, she gets branded off a yacht. At one point, she gets oh, like yes, branded yeah. off a yacht. It's something to behold. <laughs> like, um, the, and like the film, she like didn't know at the time it, why it was called a branna. <laughs> yeah, it made sense later on, but that's the way Tenet works. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. a, it's a reverse <laughs> kind of. It's it not time travel. Backwards. It's entropy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but but like in terms of like why Richie would want to make this, and again, I don't have anything to back this up. This is just my reading of like how directing works in Hollywood. Is that like he'd done Lockstock. Lockstock was a massive success. He'd had all these big meetings in the States and he was told, you can do anything you want to do. And he's like, I don't want to do a big franchise film. I want to do my little gangster film, except I'm going to get Brad Pitt, the most handsome man in the world, come over and do Snatched, which is my small British gangster film. And that works. And like, this has the look of, a director going, well, look, I know exactly what I'm doing. I am a genius. I can make anything work and I want to be taken seriously as an artist. So why don't I go back to the 70s and my wife has brought me this little art house indie film that people haven't heard of. How about I show my range by like referencing Italian 70s cinema and then bringing it to the masses and showing that I am multifaceted and complex and I have this depth inside myself. I can like... I don't know. There's nothing to back that up, but that's the kind of feeling or the texture I get off a movie like this is very much the, I want to be taken seriously as an artist. Very much. He said in an interview at the time, he said, me, I just wanted to make a sassy little art movie with the missus. So that shows the depth of feeling. I think you're dead right. I think he just wanted to have the home of pretension often so people would accept him as something other than the gangster film guy and it couldn't have gone worse because it showed exactly how shallow he is and how limited he is. It's crazy though because the the, the amount of times where there will be like you know a project that kind of like gets only so far but doesn't go any further <laughs> and like where they have lots of meetings and things and like um so and so is actually writing us and uh, oh oh great great is he, is he looking to direct it yeah hopefully so so like maybe, maybe this will kind of come out and we're all fingers crossed so Andrew's never asking why didn't somebody stop this yeah 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 be... Andrew's asking why didn't this end up as one of those projects i also think it's I think it's the inherent misogyny of Hollywood because they thought, well, who else will be able to get a good performance out of Madonna? Only her husband. So let's let's let him do it. 
Guy Ritchie's a young genius. Like, let's give him, the, let's bankroll this. And uh, you know what? He, he'll be the one to get this performance out of it. And it won't so cost that much because well. we still have the set from the Truman Show. That we're going to kind of um, that we're going to use for all of the water scenes, like the the there was a, a a lot of it that was kind of filmed on a on a on a set, right? Like where it it, it it's because like like the apparently the, shot in Malta and Sardinia, is what I'm yeah, reading here. And Madonna yeah. loves Sardinia. Um, <laughs> Back <laughs> Sorry. Mal- Malta, she I'm can take her leave. No, I forget. I'm not just talking about Donna. No, no. No, no actually, like, She does love Sardinia. She's been on holiday a lot there. And when I was in Malta, when I went on holiday to Malta, I did uh, have a, a look around for some locations. Oh. I'm that sad. Did you go to the <laughs> island? So, yeah. Um, Malta and... Ooh. Yeah, I'm an idiot. In Gozo, so where they have uh, Popeye, Popeye was shot there as well, oh. and parts of Troy. Let's not forget <laughs> another Brad Pitt, another mention of Brad Pitt. So really, all the cinematic highlights. Um. Yeah. Oh yeah, Popeye swept <laughs> away Troy. The big one. I like Popeye. Also, what a place. <laughs> uh, I, I do too. Popeye is definitely the strongest of those three. I would argue. Um, but Dude. and it like. I, it's the same and again, hair like... and makeup was used for Troy. <laughs> <laughs> um, as, as for this movie. Like watching her uh, on the desert island um, with um, the Pepe, fabulous Giuseppe. hair and, 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 oh, okay. and makeup. Um, yeah. It's it's got it's like you believe uh, Pepe like because he was always sort of like a little bit kind of shabby and fair enough like he has an amazing body. But, um, but 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 like that doesn't take like a person to come in and fix like every um uh kind of few minutes but the hair and makeup is is um like uh it's it's difficult to kind of buy that they're alone on this island it really is yeah. it really is even when she's wearing his terrible smelly jumper and she looks those trousers fantastic. that she, she looks amazing it's like yeah I want to go to that. I want to be stranded on that island. <laughs> I love that Giuseppe seemingly found a stockpile of cigarettes as well. Like, we, yeah. like again, inappropriate smoking. Like, he's stranded on an island, but he's somehow always smoking a cigarette. It's like, should we ration? I also say, he is a terrible actor. Like, as much as people say about how stinky Madonna is in every film, this guy sucks. And the only reason why they gave him the job yes. is because he's the original guy's, the original actor's son. Giancarlo Gianni's son, yeah, isn't it? Because he looks I think, you know, the final joke is Madonna's because after, like, what was it before? I have to get my timeline straight. He does look very like a guy that Madonna ended up going out with and I think it was subsequently after she's broken up with her adapted on Zeus. And they, they do look kind of alike. So I was thinking, was that her going, well, I'm going to get my own back on you. I'm going to get this guy who looks exactly like him. Um, but yeah, no, terrible actor. Terrible. We should note, yeah, Adriana Gianni, who is the son of as a Giancarlo Gianni, um, who is like big Italian actor around the same time appearing in Hannibal. Um, but Adriano Gianni uh, had a very short-lived English cinema <laughs> career, consisting entirely, I believe, of this Sinbad: Legend of the Seven Seas, which was oh, yeah. the DreamWorks animation film that almost <laughs> sunk the studio, and Oceans Twelve, and then he just jumps right back into Italian cinema. Um, Does famously, he take his I shirt off for her for <laughs> in Sinbad. Yeah, 
you're in the animation booth. Uh, we, we don't need your shirt off for voiceover, but it's like, I just feel more comfortable recording that way. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, let, let's talk about Peppy. Peppy is, like, pee -pee. it's really odd. Peepee. Um, Guido. Um, yeah, lots of stuff to talk about here, but, like, the thing with Giuseppe is that, like, he's terrible, but the movie seems to... The movie seems to be structured that you're meant to be on his side, because the opening... Yeah. 30 minutes of this are just him getting all of this crap from Amber. And the assumption, like, in any movie would be, oh, well, we're meant to feel sorry for the poor put-upon guy. But, like, watching it, you are like, this guy really is insufferable. To yeah. like him. Yeah. Like, even the other people on the boat, you're like, why haven't you guys thrown him overboard yet? I know that you needed a hand, and I know you asked for a favor. We but don't... he just seems insufferable. We never get to um, see, Like, even like... before you get to the island misogyny. Yeah, we, 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 he doesn't really have like an arc either where, where we learn that actually he's, um, he's not such a bad guy. He's worse. <laughs> you know? <laughs> 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 he's worse than he appears. He's even worse than that. Like, if you're not behind him now, you're going to really hate him as the movie goes on. Or maybe like I don't know. It's it, it it's kind of but like just wish fulfillment for terrible but the people. The movie seems to right? buy like the movie. That's it exactly. The movie buys his philosophy wholeheartedly when he gives this big speech about how you know it's chemicals have made a lot of people rich, but that doesn't make life better. And you're meant to just stroke your chin and go, "Wow, this guy, he really has a unique insight on the world." We should be it's... listening. There's a moment where I think Todd says, "No, no, no, let him speak." And it's, it's like, really, I don't feel like he has that much to add to the conversation. Like, yeah. the argument yeah. just yeah. isn't great. Like, <laughs> no, could, and they, they, because the writer <laughs> doesn't really believe what they're writing, I guess. Um, yeah. But, but even the people who are expressing, like, how much they really love chemicals. <laughs> like, really, yeah. kind of Walter White over here. People <laughs> torn. Her character, she's the only one that stands up for because of all her. She's literally the one. Um, but like, I mean, like, literally, just spends as much at the start of the film moaning as Amber does. Yes. So yeah. In a way, they're kind of made for each other in that way. But like, it is very hard to stomach the all that's happening is is him calling her a bitch and uh, for like the first half an hour, and it's so boring yes and that's what i find with like to reduce madonna to being boring is a, a a crime is a real crime because you know that level of nothingness that they let pass by is is unbelievable how, how nothing like don't get me wrong i love a film where nothing happens like i just like one of my favorite films is like sophia coppola is somewhere and not a lot happens in that for a long time but i love it and i get it but with this, like, absolutely nothing of interest happens for so, so long. And even when something does happen that's supposed to be interesting, it's terrible. So... The opening 30 minutes is the same scene over and over again, which is, yeah. like, she berates and humiliates Giuseppe. Giuseppe goes off and whines and complains about her. And then you just repeat it ad nauseum. And it's not even, like, the rule of three. It's, like, the rule of ten. It's, like, I feel like you got this. And as, like, Jen pointed out, it's 30 minutes. 30 minutes of a 90-minute movie are spent on this before you get to the premise of the movie. And it's just insufferable. And, it like, it's worse because he... He is 
awful. Like, he spends so much of the movie berating everybody else. So things like the, the captain, where the captain finds the coke. And he's like, oh, you shouldn't take cocaine. And then he goes to take it himself. Or the moment where he, like, yells at the, the guys for, like, peering and leering at the women sunbathing topless. And then leers himself. And it's like, it, this would be, if the movie understood that he was a terrible person, this would be interesting. But the movies, no, he's the guy who's speaking truth to all sorts of power. And, like, as, as Jen point, like, the thing is, when they get separated and stranded at the halfway point, part of me is like, well, does, does this mean the other characters are all having a much better vacation now? That was my yeah, big takeaway. I was like, there's no split where, like, you see what's going on with them. And I was like, I wonder what is going on with them? Like, what are they up to? Like, that, It would have made the movie less boring if there was more of a, uh, like, a B-plot, I think. Yeah. Like, the, the, the repeating the kind of same pattern of her being impetuous and him being impetuous kind of in response to that was yeah. so um, dull and mind-numbing that it could have done with... Not that we know... N- n- sorry, I should say, not that I know how to make movies, but <laughs> I, I do feel like it could have done with a bit of space to... to, to, to not that you want more of this movie, but to... to, to, to what were the 30 minutes that Guy Ritchie cut? Like, that's what I'm wondering when I look at this. Well, maybe like... that was the B-plot. Maybe it was kind of like um, the, 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 uh, them trying to find her um, and, and, and stuff like that. Or, or kind of making, making the other characters feel a bit more three-dimensional. But I guess the main characters didn't feel three-dimensional. So, no. Nobody no, does. It, it, no one does. It's... it's um, <laughs> It was a, a real piece of hatred, like yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it just just radiates hatred and contempt for everybody on screen, everybody off screen, everybody watching. That it's, it's. I'm surprised they were together so long. Like they were still. He was making rock and roll. I think they were still together. And yes, like, well, actually, that this is that's worth talking about because we mentioned very briefly. Like I think when we talked about uh, Geely last year, we talked about again the interesting double standard when something like this fails, where typically the male artist gets to go off and continue doing what they're doing, and disproportionately, it's the female artist who's punished. So, like when they did Geely, uh, Ben Affleck and Jennifer Lopez had done Jersey Girl together, the Kevin Smith yeah. movie, and the response to the failure of Geely was. Oh no, Ben Affleck is still the lead. We're just going to cut all of Jennifer Lopez's scenes out so she's basically a cameo. And like, rock and roll... You can't keep Jennifer Lopez down, I guess. No, you can't, as we've discussed. Nor can you keep Mariah Carey down. But, she, she's, she's, she's had some kind or, of... Um, or Madonna uh, either, to be thing. fair. Like, But like, the thing is that like... Rock and Roller apparently also had a role for Madonna. Like, that was cut, again, in response to this. Apparently, like, imagine, Richie, imagine your husband cutting you out of his next movie in response to the movie that you brought him and he made and you were game for. Like, he cut her out of Rock and Roller, which just seems, like, somewhat like the ultimate punchline, so to speak, to this. The, the, like, it's really, again, it's just so hateful, which is, is very strange. It's just so... There's like an interesting part of all of I'm going to tell you a secret is interesting. It's a great documentary, but there is an interesting part in it where um, she's doing the reinvention tour and she there's a moment backstage where she's upset that the lack of support that Guy Ritchie has shown her and how he hasn't really turned up to many 
of the shows at all. And she talks about like, and she said she didn't expect it to be like this and how hard it is um, to have a marriage. And But, but then also kind of, cause she understands that she's kind of being a little bit too vulnerable. She tempers that by saying, oh, you want someone to stand up to you. You want somebody in a marriage to push you and to be your best self. And, and that's what I get from him kind of thing. But you can see the, the, the sadness in that and, and how she definitely took a backseat um, in, in that marriage for herself, like to, for the marriage to survive. And I think a lot like post swept away, that was definitely a part of it. She made herself in that way smaller. And um, there's parts in like, I'm going to tell you a secret where she's in the punch bowl bar that she basically bought by Richie, let's just say. Like he didn't buy it out of his own money, put it that way. Um, and she's fallen asleep because he wants to keep on carousing and after hours drinking with all his mates. And it's just, a, a there's a, a really, that's a, such a sad moment to see someone as powerful and so strong as Donna being reduced to like the little lady um, who has to go home because the, man, the men folk want to stay out. And um, I think, yeah, like something like swept away and the reception of it just exacerbated how their marriage was perceived, uh, how he wanted their marriage to be perceived in the public eye and how she let him do that. I mean, like, again, I, I kind of alluded to this, like, the response to, um, like, the movie is very, very telling. Where you have her going on, on Larry King, and Larry King asking her, you like playing someone that ratty? And Madonna goes, you mean unsympathetic? And Larry King responds, unsympathetic, bitchy. And Madonna goes, yes, yes, that's another way to put it. Thank you, Larry. Uh, or even, like, the Owen the Lieber worst interviewer, <laughs> like, in the world. <laughs> you see, like, kind of the... the... The worst, the, the kind of some of the worst kind of Larry King. There's no research. He asks the most indelicate no. questions. And um, yeah. I, I quite but like a it. lot of the reviews, like a lot of the reviews focus on um, the violence meted out to her and, and, and how enjoyable it yes. is to watch that, which is very disturbing. I think there was a review on a really. Slant, I think the review was on Slant, if I remember correctly, that old website where they basically say it's it's kind of nice to watch Madonna get and the shit kicked out of her for a change. Um, there's also a part, I think, in, I'm correct me if I'm wrong, on Hope, it's not A.F. Scott, but maybe, uh, in, in New York Times where they say, like, maybe that wasn't him. It wasn't him. I don't want to slander. Uh, but there is another review that says the sequence where she's lip syncing to Rosemary Clooney is scarier than anything you'd see in Red Dragon because she's so old. Um, so there's like the misogyny was flying for and like they weren't getting at the actual roots to the problem of the film, which is the misogyny. They were just adding a layer Playing of misogyny it, onto yeah. it. And um, and that's why they were saying it was so bad. Yeah. Well, I mean, Owen Gleiberman from Entertainment Weekly, it helps that she's playing a spoiled aristocratic pain, a rich bitch who needs to be taken down about nine notches. And that's like, that's a, that's Entertainment Weekly. That's a major publication in 2002. Well, like it reaches the do kind of hate celebrities, but they, I think they especially hate women celebrities. Um... Yeah. And like, there's also like, to be honest, like, it's very, by the time they get to that island and uh, he's chasing her down to assault her, I laughed originally when I saw it because I was like, Madonna would strangle him. Look at the muscles on her. Like she'd actually just lift him up. Like, And that's another layer of it being so unconvincing is the fact that 
she's built and she can like take she can take on anyone like and I just think like she could match him in that um and that whole part of it is just another layer of it being so unbelievable and stupid when she's you know? fighting back I like the whole conversation <clears throat> the, the whole conversation that they have while he's pinning her down and assaulting her as well is so incredibly mean spirit and like the fact the film seemingly wanting to play this as like a weird romance because like you you get that sequence where it's like run vixen run and he chases her down and he kicks her out like he kicks her and she falls and he gets on top of her and he strips her but like that's played later on where he he says run away vixen and it's like romantic and they're kind of corralling in the sand and like the movie wants you to see this as like a big a romantic moment as much as anything else, like the moment where she concedes that she wants it, like this is this is the thing that oh we yeah, kind of but there's, to. there's a whole part of it where he's like, you know, you like this, you enjoy this, you like this life, you like this with me, like um, and you know, she says, "What have you done to me?" At one point, like um, and like the subtext of that is, you know, blatant. It's Guy Ritchie saying you know, I will strip you bare of your celebrity comforts and I will bring you to this level and you'll enjoy it and you'll end up with a smile on your face and say, what have you done to me? This is great. And that is like the approximation of their marriage. Like, yeah. it's bizarre. The calling him master, the kissing of his fists, the kissing of his legs um, and like the worshipping of his legs and all that sort of stuff. Like, and, and even like, and again, like Peppy comes across like through a 2021 lens as like the kind of guy who posts on internet forums the guy who's you know where he's like like they have a whole conversation where he basically says how can you be so sad when you are so beautiful and she says i don't believe you would you really be interested in me if you had a choice and she talks about how society says i'm too old and like it's it's a moment that plays like you know that that guy on the internet is like i don't like it when women wear makeup I like women who are authentic. So, you know, you can trust me. And it's really creepy and really unpleasant. And But also it's degrading to yeah. put those words in Madonna's mouth to have her say, don't you want someone younger and prettier? Yeah. Um, and also, you know, that's obviously Guy Ritchie's whole hang up and his whole fantasy is to have his missus say, oh, I'm old. Uh, because there was lots of rumors when their marriage isn't break, like breaking down that the reason why he didn't go and see her on tour um, was because he was embarrassed and he said that, you know, she should leave all that kind of dancing to the younger girls, the like Britney Spears of the world and she should cover herself up because she was too old to do that kind of stuff. So there's a bitterness to that and it's horrible to watch Madonna say, Joe, you want somebody younger and prettier. Um, if you had a choice yeah if you had a choice her. yeah if you had a choice you wouldn't pick me kind of thing which is like it, it's that again very negging it, it's like he's negging his wife and he's making her partake yeah, in the and negging he wants is... her to be apologetic for being her he wants her to be apologetic for being successful and domineering and dominant and older he wants her to apologize for all this but the fact that he got her to do all this in a film is just insane to me it's like it's it's like a horrible therapy session yeah i mean like and again like we, we mentioned like the 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 idea of like so much of madonna's brand being built about the control of her sexuality and how like so much of this seems to be about turning that back on her like things like the fact that he labels her a slut that he, he calls her indecent Ooh. that he calls her a whore you know at least a whore works for the for her bread for the day and and like the the, the assault thing of at least you know you want it like it feels like 
you're taking something that is fundamental to Madonna's identity as a pop star, something that defines her as one of the artists of her generation, which is the idea that she has always been in control of that aspect of herself and how that is presented. And like taking it away from her feels very deliberate and very unpleasant and very uncomfortable. Like I, I, it's, it's hard to put into words, but it's, it's like, there's a real sense of turning her image against her and like weaponizing that and shaming her for that. And like, Mm. and while shaming her for that, like, turning it into like a domination or dominate lording it over her which is like because like again the whole thing is that it's it's she is beholden to him by the end of it you know that that she she is all those she's like she's perfect for him she's submissive to him by the end of it so she gives up that agency Ooh. that she had it's it's really it it feels weirdly personal it feels weirdly kind of targeted and weirdly designed like specifically for who Madonna, who Madonna is, or who Madonna was seen in the public eye to be. Well, which it, is like, yeah, it's it's kind of like, um, it's the insecurity of um, of having a partner who is, um, you know, uh, higher status than you, and wanting to kind of um, prove that you're just as good um, as they are by um, uh, trying to diminish them rather than <laughs> rather than proving your own worth right, then you're trying, elevating trying yourself to, yeah yeah rather than elevating yourself you're 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 trying to kind of um, em, em, embarrass and uh, disgrace um, the the other person and make the, the uh, make them more aware of their kind of weaknesses and vulnerabilities and stuff Kind of um, to make you feel um, like you're on kind of the same level with them, I guess. It feels all very kind of toxic. Um, yeah. 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 All right. Um, and before we wrap up, then just quick in terms of like box office grosses, um, it earned in its opening weekend, it just took $375,000 across 196 theaters. And its total run in the United States brought in 500900 Sorry, $598,643, which was less. It was outgrossed by Battlefield Earth, Ishtar, and Ballistic X versus Silver, just to give a sense of like where it falls. Yeah. I thought you were going to say. It was not released. Sometimes when you say like it was was only (laughs) like the number will be in the millions. Um, No. No. No, no. That's really bad. It's less than Battlefield Earth as well. Yeah. Less than Ishtar, less than Ballistic X versus... Like, there were movies that got to the top of the pandemic box office that made more than this. Um, well, Trolls like, 2. It was, uh, uh, Trolls World yeah. Tour. Scoob? Yes, Scoob! Exclamation mark. Um, what Scoob. a movie that is. Where where it turns out that... And I'm not... Again, this is a spoiler zone for all movies. Where the big reveal in that movie hinges on the fact that Scooby-Doo is the descendant of Alexander the Great's dog. That's the central plot point of Scoob. Um, um, oh my god! Is it it's, really it's something amazing? Yeah, I like that. You're like, I, I don't believe that. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. It absolutely is. <laughs> Call my bluff. <laughs> that's does, the problem does you the have. Dane that's, in, 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 like breed me nothing. That's, <laughs> that's the problem that you have. 
all the great dogs of history, apparently. Like, it's a, it's a, it's one of those big modern mythology movies where it's like, all the great dogs of history are related to Scooby-Doo. Uh, he is the chosen one. He's the Luke Skywalker of If there was a royal family of dogs, like, they probably would be. They'd be Cavalier King dogs. Charles. Yeah, they'd, yeah. But, but no, that they'd be like, the, you know, the, 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 those, um, um, what, like, the, whatever dogs live long enough to kind of, like, show up for, you know, the Cruffs. Um, uh, uh, shows where they're where 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 overbred to to the point of almost being uh, dead. Yeah. Um. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. That that certainly certainly <laughs> took a turn. Anyway, the point I was going to make was that like swept away was never actually theatrically released in the UK or Ireland. It went straight to video. Um. It didn't even get a chance to to kind of flop over here. All right. Is there anything else we want to talk about? Anything that we haven't discussed about swept away? Anything jumping out at any of us? So, like, any big scenes, any moments, any beats that we think like they're a, talking about? There was, like, a combination in the start of... When they're all on the um, private jet, it was a combination of food and, like, jangly jewellery that that I found, like, <laughs> really kind of, like, upsetting. You can almost kind of... The, the, like, I, I, I really like food. And I don't want all this, <laughs> like... Uh, jewelry getting in the stuff. way yeah yeah the, uh, get the, get how it, get happy it. were you when pepe threw away her gold bracelet did you cheer um, in your seat maybe a little bit but but no <laughs> the, 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 there was also a lot of throwing away food so, yes uh, there's a lot of trying to octopi yeah, yeah, squid. I didn't approve of that. I, squid I, flinging. Kind of, there's I, a lot of squid flinging. I didn't, I didn't kind of identify with um, uh, Pepe, aside from like when she was throwing fish out of the boat. <laughs> I kind of <laughs> wanted to. Uh, yeah, no. That was the moment Guy Ritchie got Andrew on board, on board for a second. I, like... Yeah, if I had been in the boat, I would have been shouting as well. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck are you, what, what are you doing? Yeah. Uh-huh. But um, yeah. Aside from that, not so much. <laughs> um, well, like nothing much happens to yeah. even have. So no, like of course you're gonna focus on how much food wasted there was. Yeah, exactly. Nothing else to talk about, really. Oh, although I will say, um, nice advertisement of Madonna in a bucket hat. Um, I forgot she wears a bucket hat at one point in the film, and I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about. It. It's a good look uh, for her. Um, also, it reminded me of Tom Cruise's bucket hat that you see briefly in Vanilla Sky. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was. I don't know. There was just, that was just a moment for me where I was like, oh yeah, I forgot that that image from that it film. It was the era of the bucket hat, kind of, wasn't it? Well, like the... close. But it, it very much reminded me of a, a, a moment in time of like kind of a Vita Versace print where that you know there's a brown bikini in the Jerry Halliwell video for. Um, Chico Latino, my Chico Latino. That's very reminiscent of the bikini that Madonna wears on the island. In this, I don't. I, I always end up doing the fashion report <laughs> when I'm on this podcast. So it's like I'll, I I'm was thinking you were going to talk oh, about no, like uh, your like thirst for. <laughs> oh yeah, there's nobody really. I wasn't thirsty for <laughs> the thirst was dry. It was uh wasn't even feeling it for Pepe. I was too annoyed. No, yeah, um, it's how things went although i love the way that they said that they toned down the misogyny in it i was like bloody <laughs> hell okay italian <laughs> so cinema in the 70s yeah i wasn't thirsty for anyone in this film sadly i'll have to come back to do a mega thirst film. 
which is, which is ironic given how much salt water there is in this movie yeah. there is um, that's true. <laughs> no thirst um i do like i appreciate like scott tobias at the av club um describing um there's um you know at the time even Bertmere's gender couldn't shield her from charges of misogyny as some critics were left queasy by the film's depiction of rape abuse and female subservience a remake much less a faithful remake seems impossible today. But credit writer-director Guy Ritchie for hitting all the right notes even as he misses the tune. His version of Swept Away is like hearing a symphony on a kazoo. Um, which is just a line that I really like in terms of getting getting at this. Where he, he ports over the essential things. The, like, at its core, if, if I were asked like what Swept Away is about, I would say that Swept Away is an argument about how the biggest problem with late capitalism is that it's not misogynistic enough. That is the central argument <laughs> that the film makes. It's like, late capitalism needs more misogyny. That, that, that will fix it. Just take him to an island and, and reinforce old gender norms and everything will be fine. Um, all right, then. I think that about wraps it up. Then, unless there's anything else jumping out of people, anything that anybody else wants to say uh, in terms of the film or its reception or legacy? Just that, like, Madonna went on to do... Um... American Life to record the American Life album after that and it just uh, was very um, personal and internalized and quite and a little bit angry very political um, so I think of anything she she made a better jump for herself for her career uh, post swept away and yes probably was subjugated sadly by Guy Ritchie for that moment but then became quite fierce and angry more angry in her music uh post this film which i thought was an interesting move and american life is one of her best albums i know so many people flag it off but i think it's getting a resurgence now so uh a new lease on american that. life um uh, <laughs> anyway sorry but and, and actually that's that's an interesting point to make about like M madonna's career coming after this because again and quick shout out to another podcast because they do exist. Um, Karina Longworth's uh, Karina, Karina Longworth's um, you must remember this podcast did an excellent uh, two episode mini mini series on Madonna in Hollywood, looking at her activity and like her and there's some really good stuff in Truth or Dare uh, on Truth or Dare in there or um, but like the her relationship how so much of Madonna's early life in Hollywood was defined by her relationship to other men in Hollywood so Sean Penn initially and obviously Warren Beatty kind of later on and arguably Richie here and like one of the interesting things about her arc in Hollywood is that after this like and again it speaks to what Jen said there about taking back control of the narrative you could argue Madonna decides that she's not going to be anybody else's pawn in terms of Hollywood she decides she's going to direct her own movie now W.E. is not necessarily regarded as a classic of cinema but it is notable that it is not on the bottom 100 for example it is not it does not attract the same level of vitriol of that so I think that maybe if you're charting Madonna's arc there's something to be said there in terms of this representing the last time in the Madonna Hollywood arc that she is defined by a male partner, perhaps is that would that be fair to say? Also, well, also I think with WE, it points to what Madonna is good at. She's good at picking up people and getting the best out of them. Like she will use producers, like you know, Stuart Price or Mirway, or you know, and elevate their careers like William Orbit. The same kind of couldn't be said with Star Spot and Wise with Andrea Riseborough, who's in WE, and she really supported her and absolutely loved her. Thought she was a great actress. She's got a really keen eye like that, and then. With Maverick, you know, she signed Alanis Morissette, let's not forget, and The Prodigy and Massive Attack. So I think that's another side to Madonna that a lot of 
people don't really discuss much is that she's good behind the scenes too. And maybe being a director suited her in that way to be able to, you know, display some of that star spotting that she does have. Um, even though it's a not a great film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the nicest thing I can say about it. Also, I'm very scared about this upcoming biography that she has way too much input in. Of course, with Madonna, she's always going to want to tell her own story her own way, and that's perfectly fine. But um, I'm just very worried about uh, the trajectory that's taken now since um, who has left? Um, what's her name? Do you know? Diablo Cody. She was working with Diablo Cody during lockdown uh, to write it with her, and Diablo Cody has now left the project completely. So that alarm bells are ringing for me already about what this is going to be like so <laughs> um, and again well, like it's, it's interesting sorry there's no a position available Joe. <laughs> <laughs> i know no <laughs> i could write this story for yeah ru really ruin, ruin your fandom uh, <laughs> of madonna <laughs> it's like diablo cody like me. before working with madonna is I'm, like, ready. I'm a huge fan I'm, like this is a dream come true <laughs> yeah my ex-boyfriend did say um that i was one of the only people that if i met my hero i'd want them to be horrible to me about madonna so, <laughs> yeah. so maybe i'm set up for this job <laughs> Maybe, like you yeah. haven't got the full experience otherwise yeah it's like i didn't get a proper madonna experience if i didn't end up traumatized coming out the other end of it um all right then exactly so that about wraps it up so what we normally do at the end of the podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners something they're enjoying at the moment give me something related to the podcast something unrelated to the podcast we give jen a chance to think about it i'm gonna ask andrew to go first uh, we, we mentioned it earlier and it's perhaps not a classic but it is a classic of a genre um, which is body of evidence um, a nineties erotic thriller, um, and it, it's, yeah. it's 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 about her 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 body being a a weapon about about her her dangerous kind of threatening sexuality, and and kind of um, I I I guess kind of um, a, a, a exploring that in a way that was kind of um, well like like uh, titillating but also kind of you know. Um, a controversial, I guess, and um, um, uh, f feeding into that, I enjoyed it. <laughs> um, um, and and also in in this movie, there there was incongruous use of of Arvo Paris, um, and he he gets used in in movies um, uh, a, a a decent amount. But um, I think I recommended him when we were talking about. Um, Interstellar, and I'll I'll recommend people check him out. This again. is Spiegel and Spiegel, is it? Spiegel and um... Spiegel, yes, yeah, yes. yeah. It's in it's in that um, I think it's about time as well. It's yes, in, it's yeah, in lots yeah. of things. Um, yeah, not to get yeah. not to spoil my recommendations. Coming it's, up like, well. um, it's like it's uh, like um, uh, Mr. Blue Sky from Electric Light Orchestra. By the way, Electric Light Orchestra are great. <laughs> I'm just discovering ELO. Smooth. Um, <laughs> I mean, they're, they're, they're not great from like top to bottom or anything, but they have a few tunes. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 and that will, I think, be it for me. We have been joking on the podcast about like... Oh, sorry. We have been joking on the podcast about Andrew taking a more proactive role in terms of like the movies we'll be covering and like organizing guests and stuff. I do love the idea of Andrew quietly turning the 250 into a 90s uh, erotic thriller nostalgia <laughs> podcast. Um, 
That is kind yes. of what I'm hoping for when when we when we get round to doing probably that. Probably already a podcast that exclusively talks about erotic thrillers. <laughs> I, I, I feel that and are probably better suited or qualified to it than we. Who, yeah, yeah, it would be weird. If it were me. <laughs> <laughs> you know what this this world needs? Two middle aged Irish guys talking about. Um, That's right. Darren, anyway, we're um, <laughs> Jen. <laughs> That's what you object to there. Um, <laughs> Jen, what would you recommend for listeners? Um, I don't know. I mean, like, there's a Barry Diller quote that says, like, Madonna's a movie star without a movie. Um, and I always think that's wrong because I think her movie is In Bed with Madonna, Truth or Dare. Um, and if you haven't seen it, I, I would implore anybody to watch it. Like, I did a talk about Madonna years ago before the lighthouse did a screening of Truth or Dare in Bed with Madonna. And I still think it's the greatest uh, pop, rock, whatever documentary of all time because she is a persona in it. Yes, definitely she's playing a persona, but also we will never get the rawness of that because it was unprecedented. It wasn't done before. Nobody did a documentary as close up and fly on the wall about a superstar at the peak of their powers. Like they do now, they churn it out. Everyone has one. Justin Bieber yeah, has one. Katy Perry has one. But this was the first one. And to see it and to see someone as fascinating as Madonna and as funny, a lot of people don't understand how funny she is and she is hilarious. Mm. Um, to see her uh, like behind the scenes like that is just such a joy but it also shows her as a monster too and the fact that she let them leave that in the edit there's an infamous part where one of her um dancers or backup singers gets sexually assaulted uh, in a park and she's laughing about it while she's getting her makeup done um she left that in she let them leave that in and she lets them leave in parts where she's bitching about her own father before he comes in to see her backstage where she's you know giving out about her brother she let let it all in like let's just be real and even though she is playing a character the character of madonna like there's even parts where she's slagging off a girl that she's still school with that comes to see her backstage it's brutal and the infamous kevin costner scene where she's just like Ugh, i'm not neat where he calls the show alarmingly visceral like film about a star and the star being the monster as well as a star being somebody you can relate to or can't relate to. Um, and I just think it's absolutely brilliant. And there will be never, nothing will ever touch as good as that film is. And, and I think she knows it too, that she gave far too much. Um, that, and I want, I want to tell you a secret, which is the follow-up kind of in 2004 done by Jonas Ackerland. It's her at a different time of her life and it's not as intrusive, but it's just as, as funny and insightful. Um, and in terms of recommendations for myself, Andrew mentioned that uh, Spiegel and Spiegel is used in a variety of other movies, such as About Time and, and Movie 43. So I would like to recommend... No, I'm not going to recommend Movie 43. Even <laughs> even that was, a, was too far for me. Um, but I would recommend it is used in the final episode of The Good Place, actually. The TV show uh, from Mike Shore, which I, I absolutely adore. One of my favorite TV shows the past couple of years. Uh, if you haven't seen it, get on it. I've also recently been binging uh, Mythic Quest on Apple TV. I finally found something worth watching on Apple TV. It only took two years. Uh, but it's great. I am. Um, it's one of the most... <laughs> I like the mustache. Uh, the rest of the show can. <laughs> but no, like Mythic Quest is one of the most moving studies of uh, like creativity I've ever seen. Uh, in fact, one of the episodes in the first season 
Dark Quiet Dead, which can be watched by itself, starring Jake Johnson and Christine Malotti, uh, is one of my favorite pieces of like film or television I have seen in years. It's a, it's a portrait of two people who create something together and then lose control of it. And then the relationship that kind of disintegrates around them. I found it incredibly moving, incredibly sweet. And then finally, uh, because it's kind of related to this, and though it will be old news by the time this podcast comes out, you know, if you enjoy people being in the Riviera where it's nice and it's sunny and everything is blue and green and yellow. Um, I would wholeheartedly recommend Pixar's Luca, um, which is the recent Pixar film that is available to stream on Disney+. Plus. Uh, no premium subscription required. Um, it's very much a hangout movie. Um, it has been described not unfairly as Call Me By Your Mermaid, um, in that it is the story of uh, a sea monster who wants to discover what life is like above the waves with his best friend who enters in a... Uh, Basically, a, a relay race against the local bully. It is incredibly sweet, incredibly charming, very, very low stakes, and just the perfect chill-out summer movie. So I would recommend that. That would be my recommendations. All right, so Jen, where can we find you? Watch out what you're doing. Watch up there. Um, I'm on Twitter all the time. Uh, Jen Pops, that's J-E-N-N. Um, talking nonsense all the time. And I'm on Instagram, the Jen Gannon. That's another double N. And I'm everywhere. I'm on the radio, Monday FM, Monorchi, talking about stuff on Arena, um, and in the papers sometime. <laughs> I'm everywhere. <laughs> Find me. <laughs> you, you can't escape. Perfect. Uh, and wholeheartedly recommend that stuff. Um, I'm particularly fond of your. You do like the the Netflix updates, the Irish Times, which are always great fun to read. I do. Um, yeah, I, I'll tell you what to watch every yes. month if you'll let me. <laughs> Please let me tell you what to watch. Uh, perfect. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week, where because last week Andrew and I talked about an Indian movie that was on the bottom 100, Dabang Three, a movie whose gender politics were inexplicably better than the movie that we just watched today. Um, we will be talking next week about a surprise new entry on the top 250, an Indian horror movie called Tumbad. And joining us for that conversation will be the wonderful Joey Kyo. Um, so I'm really, really looking forward to that. Until then, take it easy, guys. Bye. Oh, Tumbad is available to for uh, subscribers of Amazon Prime. So if you want to watch it in the week between, uh, you can watch it on Amazon Prime, um, easily available internationally. Take care, guys. See you next week. Thank you, Jen. Thanks so much, Jen.